I didn't strictly speaking lose a lot of money on it, but I lost a ton of time, a lot of confidence. I spent the entire time in sort of gut-wrenching anxiety about what I was doing here. And it just ended up, if anything, like the, the only thing I got out of it was the idea that maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Daniel Egan. Daniel, are you ready to rock? Let's do it. All right. So Dan is currently in charge of behavioral science and investing at Betterment, where he integrates behavioral finance and passive investment management to help customers achieve their goals. He researches into what drives and how to prevent harmful financial behavior. <laughs> We've all seen that. This includes how to increase savings behavior, reduce speculation, and increase planning. Daniel holds a Master's of Science degree in Decision Science from London School of Economics and a Bachelor of Arts degree with distinction in Economics from Boston University. Daniel enjoys speaking to academic classes and industry conferences and does so often. Dan, take a minute, fill in any further tidbits about your life. I think this is a great podcast because there's a, an old saying that a fool looks to learn from experience and a wise man looks to learn from other people's experiences. Sharing the mistakes that we've made, sharing exactly how they didn't seem like mistakes at the time is an excellent, excellent idea. I got into what I do because I like both sort of human psychology, but also how financial markets work or sometimes don't work. And there is just so much, so many mistakes out there that we can learn from, from each other. I think it's a great idea to share them. Fantastic. Those in the audience, you can't see it because we are on video, but, but you're listening on audio. If I look behind the Dan's face, I see a bunch of stuff written on a whiteboard. So clearly this man thinks about this type of stuff. Now, Dan, it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. All right, let me, let me paint you a picture. I graduated from the London School of Economics with a master's degree in 2006. And I got a job right away in private equity. I had no background in finance itself. I had no experience in financial markets. The only thing I'd ever done was kind of like put money into a retirement fund and a target date fund. And so I learned quite a bit. And then I started working at Barclays in 2007. And you're just surrounded by finance people who actually have studied this stuff forever and who do it as a living. And so I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to learn this stuff. I'm partially learning through osmosis just by being around it all the time. And I read a lot. I read newspapers and The Economist, and I thought I knew what was going on. So, you know, here's the sort of first setup thing is that I had a little bit of knowledge and I thought I had a little bit more. Um, so I was lucky enough that I, I lasted in my job during the financial crisis. And I remember hitting the bottom in 2009 and then things started to pick up. So markets were getting a little bit better. There were some green shoots appearing. And I thought, well, you know, like what's something that I think is going to really reflect this? And I actually remember reading an article in The Economist about how there had been these really big reserves of oil. People were keeping oil offshore in um, oil tankers. And that oil at that point in time, it had been going into the crisis, it had been trading around $150 a barrel. Through the financial crisis in 2008, it bottomed out at sort of like $80 a barrel, which just seemed 
implausibly low at the time. It had to go up. This just was so easy. So I went and found a, a vehicle to express this view that I thought oil was going to be going up as things got better. I found a double leveraged oil ETF called DXO was the ticker. It was a PowerShares double long oil ETF. I ended up buying it in June, June 1st of 2009 at $4.50 a share. When I did that, I was thinking, you know, like, this is something I know I expect. It's a speculative play, but I think this is going to, it's going to take at least six months, if not a year. So I'm going to have to hold on to it for that period of time. Um, so I get into it. Um, again, this is a leveraged uh, ETF. So it promptly begins to fall. Um, and it falls over the next two or three months very impressively. I think it bottomed out at about $3.25. So it had a really nice negative 35 or 40% return at that point. And, you know, in as much as I had said, oh, this is a sort of six month to a year play, I kept looking at it. I kept watching it and seeing what it was going to do. You know, like I'm, I had a background in behavioral finance. I knew all these things. I did exactly what I wasn't supposed to do. Continued to watch it. Finally, it sort of broke even and went positive. And I sold October 1st at $4.56 a share. At that point in time, it had gone up by about $0.06 cents a share. Not remotely, number one, like any kind of a respectable profit. Number two, once you'd consider the transaction cost, I'd made a loss. So I had to pay, I don't know, $20 on the way in and $20 on the way out. And so I'd actually lost money at that point in time. And of course, as, as things go, it continued to go up after that. So I, it's a funny one because I didn't, strictly speaking, lose a lot of money on it, but I lost a ton of time, a lot of confidence. I spent the entire time in sort of gut-wrenching anxiety about what I was doing here. And it just ended up, if anything, like the, the only thing I got out of it was the idea that maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Let's review. What are the takeaways from what you learned? I know you've mentioned time and confidence. How would you, you sum up the lessons that you learned from this experience? So number one is uh, you know, being honest about position sizing versus cost. So you can have a great idea, but you have to have a big enough margin that you're going to cover your transaction costs, be it just commissions or taxes afterwards. And so, you know, I didn't have quite as strong, looking at it now, I didn't have a strong enough view on that such that I would have guaranteed to be covered on that. Number two, you got to take into account how much it's going to cost you in indigestion and sleepless nights and how much it's going to take away from you spending time on your real job. And third, and this is really tricky, is like, you actually have to really understand what you invest in. I made some really serious mistakes here. Number one, you should, I should never have bought a leveraged long ETF for a six month to one year investment horizon. The way that they work is they take out futures contracts or they use leverage in certain ways where there's negative roll yield. And so this thing doesn't track well over long periods of time. It only tracks well over short periods of time. I thought I knew what I was getting into because of the name. Oh, it's, it's a double long oil ETF. Well, you know, it does what it says on the tin. In retrospect, it really didn't. And I didn't know what I was getting into. And I just want to like double down on this. A couple of months after I sold it, Deutsche Bank had been the one, the, the firm sponsoring it, and they closed it down because they decided that it was way too much risk on their books and they didn't want to be dealing with it either. So like at the point in time when Deutsche Bank is going, actually, we don't want to be involved with this thing. I probably shouldn't have been involved with it as a normal people trying to trade in it. And the last thing, which is a little bit nuanced here, is 
I spent time playing this game that literally millions of professionals play of like, what's the price of oil going to do? I had no advantage in it. I just thought it was going to be kind of fun to, to take a swing at it. But what I, what I missed out on or what the cost that I didn't see was my time. I could have been doing something much more productive for kind of like my earnings potential or my life at that point in time. Um, so I actually view it as like a pretty serious loss because I, I just like had a, an opportunity cost that was hidden. Okay. Wow. That's a lot. And it's interesting that so much learning out of this, what you could say, little movements in the share price compared to, you know, some of the people's stories here, they just buy it at 4.5 and it goes to zero. <laughs> yeah. And you've learned a lot from this. Now, I'll, my takeaways, let me summarize what I take away and then let me know if I missed anything. And the first thing that I take away is that you really have to think about the complete costs of an investment. And I think people often really overlook that there's, you know, we've already heard about the costs of the actual transaction. We've heard about the cost of taxes. We've also, there's the cost of time and there's the cost of confidence. Those are all real costs that, you know, some of those costs are costs that just go out the door the minute that you enter into the transaction. But some of them linger on, such as the cost in confidence. And mm -hmm. it's a very common theme for all of us that when, particularly when you study investment and you do it, you think, how did I miss that? Well, what, what, what was I thinking? So there, there's a real cost in confidence. So, and those are the costs that we never see because we get so excited about the actual idea that we miss those costs. So I think that's a very important lesson. The second lesson is, ladies and gentlemen, what instrument are you investing in? There's a difference between having an idea and the instrument you use to execute that idea. You wanna invest in a startup, maybe you should invest through a startup fund. You know, you wanna invest in oil, maybe you should invest in actual oil rather than a double leveraged oil ETF. And that is, you know, very important that we understand the instruments that, and, and of course, in the financial world, the more complex the instrument, it seems like the more exciting and people get excited about it and salespeople like to sell it from um, private banks and the likes. People think that they're really smart buying it, but usually complex instruments are tangled up. The re part of the reason why they're complex is because the institution issuing them is making a lot of money off of it. And so you've got to really separate your idea from the instrument and study that instrument. And then um, the third thing I think is, is really valuable, and you mentioned it towards the end, is who are you betting against? Who is this position coming up against? And if you are, let's say that you're, you like investing in small cap companies or mid cap companies, you know, there's, there's 500 shareholders in this company. It's a very different bet than betting in currency or betting in oil. These are global markets. The traders in these items have huge balance sheets. And you know, the result of that is that uh, you can get involved in a trade where the people you're betting against are so, you are so disadvantaged against them you know, when you're betting against them that you're almost sure to lose. In fact, you could say their profits come from you. So they welcome you, of course, to come in and make that trade. But ultimately, you're betting against much bigger balance sheets and much deeper knowledge of those markets. Did I miss anything? No, you nailed it. <laughs> yeah. And I think one other thing I would add in is that, and I remember looking at this when I originally wrote my book about investing for kind of beginner. People talk about, you know, investing in commodities and, and other type of instruments. And now we do have commodity funds and ETFs and things like that. But I think that 
uh, and we talk about the diversification benefit of those items, but it's important to do a trade-off analysis on that because you could be investing in an equity fund or an equity ETF. And I know, you know, it's part of what's, what happens if you're investing through Betterment or if you're doing that yourself, you could be paying a tiny little fee on that, uh, let's say even a global stock ETF. And then you say, okay, I'm going to diversify with a, you know, commodity fund. You could be paying 10 times the fee for that commodity fund to get the diversification benefit of that commodity fund. And in order to get the diversification benefit of that commodity fund, you've got to hold more than just 3%. You've got to hold, could be 5, 10%. So there comes this trade-off between the cost of some of these diversifying instruments versus the diversification benefit you get. And that's an important analysis that people have to think through as they go through that. So that would be one thing also I would add. Anything you would add to that discussion? Yeah, I think there's just one more, which is just always be aware your time and your attention is a really valuable commodity. This is the thing that I see people get wrong most of the time is that they're kind of like, oh, well, like maybe I'll go and do this. And as you pointed out, they're moving into an arena that's generally a zero-sum trading game and where other people have a lot of advantage. And since then, one of the things that I've taken away from it is that like, when I spend my time on this stuff, I, I want to find opportunities that either aren't zero-sum where I can develop a real skill to offer to other people to make things better off. Like I, one of the things that I took away, I started learning how to program um, because I knew that it would be much more useful to be able to do this. So just always remember that like when you're investing, when you, you spend time and attention on your investments, that's a cost that you should include in the calculus of whether or not you're doing well. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. So based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Keep it simple. (laughs) Is so true. I love it. I mean, those three words mean a lot. And that's where people basically um, think that complex is smart and valuable, but actually simplicity is key. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we wrap up, Dan, thanks for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for our audience? No matter what happens, keep saving. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, uh, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.